Hello, welcome to the Bunker Daily. Every Monday, Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, we talk to interesting people about strange times. And there's the regular weekly episode on Wednesdays. Today's guest is Tom Gray. He's a member of the band Gomez, who reunited two years ago to mark the 20th anniversary of their Mercury Prize-winning debut album, Bring It On. Earlier this week, he posted a thread on Twitter about the effect of the coronavirus on the music industry. Spoiler, not great. And it swiftly went viral. It began why the music industry has to change and change now. Hi, Tom. How and where are you? I am in my flat in Hove on a glorious sunny day. How has the how has the lockdown affected your work? Are you able to still do quite a lot in you know home studio on, on your own? Yeah, I've been quite lucky myself. Most of the work I'm doing at the moment is theatre stuff, so it's sort of development work. When I'm trying to write songs, I I tend to sort of just noodle around and uh, hope for something to come along. So I've not been it's not been too bad for me, but. A lot of my friends are in a bit of a serious state. It's 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 gone pretty bad pretty quick. Um, between my composer friends who work in TV, who've just had productions just just wiped off the slate for the next six months, and my touring friends whose you know all of their shows have been cancelled, and I think they just said in America that the last thing they'll bring back is. In, it's, I think it was New York State said the last thing they'll bring back is, is p- public performance. So um, the, si- the, the signs aren't great. Because, I mean, quite a few artists, including you know, people I bought tickets from, have postponed shows till the autumn. Then you've got people like Manic Street Preachers and Fat Boy Slim, where they've announced these kind of uh, you know, free gigs for the NHS, also before the end of the year. Some people think that's wildly optimistic. And, and one prognosis I've seen, uh, terrifying, is that mass gatherings won't be viable again until as late as autumn of 2021. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, things change all the time. Do you think that we will see the return of concerts in 2020? Or do you think we're going to need to, it's going to be next year? I mean, we don't know how the disease works yet, do we? I mean, we're listening to news every day where they're changing their minds and saying, oh, do people get it twice? Do they get it once? Do people have immunity? Is immunity a thing? Until we have that kind of information, it seems strange to to second guess it and imagine that we're going to get out of this in, in a hurry. <laughs> I hate to be, <laughs> you know, um, gloomy about it, but it, it seems wildly optimistic yeah to me when you when we have no idea but i mean i suppose that the industry has to um it sort of seems to only make decisions you know and and, you know venues and booking agents and all that they only seem to make decisions when they have to so initially the there were a few the sort of sections of tours for march were being uh dropped or postponed Mm -hmm. but then everything was everything was still on for april and may (laughs) and then they went and then some people have just, uh, I think, you know, just punted the, the whole their whole tour, like Nick Cave, for example, uh, into next year. Um, I think it's kind of pushing you know, back to water. There's still festivals that haven't been cancelled. And I imagine that that, I mean, you, you know better than me. Is, are there particular reasons why yeah. things that we know aren't going to happen haven't been officially cancelled yet? Are there kind of... It's insurance. It's insurance. It's right. entirely down to insurance policies. Um I remember playing a festival um, last year when the entire stage was deluged with water. And I said, the health and safety officer, I said to the health and safety officer, I said, you have to 
you know, come and <laughs> look at this stage with me and tell me that I can walk on that stage. Otherwise, I'm not going to take to that stage because if I get killed, it'll be on me. <laughs> these these kinds of events are always because they're so expensive to put on. The 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 liabilities. I mean, go into them are always multi million. If you cancel it before the government tell you to cancel it, certainly you've got no chance of getting any of your money back. So until the government sort of says, well, actually, it's, you know, don't come out of your houses until August or whatever, I doubt you'll see some of these festivals actually cancelling. Even though the people putting them on know then they're not going to be able to put them on. Yeah, that's a terrible thing to say, but I think, you know, I I could be wrong. But I mean, but, I'm not blaming them, but because I can, I do understand, you know, yeah, that 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 financial situation. But it must be a strange thing knowing that you, you know, you want to tell everyone, yeah, look, this ain't happening, but you can't. It seems entirely Lilliputian, doesn't it? But it's the situation these people find themselves in. It's awful, really, and 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 you know, maybe part of them is saying to themselves, "Hey, the skies may clear. We discover something." Uh, we may suddenly be able to do this, and I'm sure in all in all organisations there are the kinds of wildly optimistic people on one side of the room saying, "Hey, it might still happen," mm. and the accountants on the other side of the room going, "Keep our heads down until the government tell us we can't do it." You know, well, well gigs and 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 you know, football matches or whatever. I mean, there's so much a kind of a part of life. It's bizarre to sort of you know look at them through these kind of the eyes of um, pandemic and social distancing, mm-hmm. when suddenly, when we're talking about gently lifting the lockdown, you know, stage by stage, suddenly having tens of thousands of people <laughs> in like an arena or a stadium just seems like demented, even though it's something that I've been a part of, you know, countless times in my life. It just seems almost sort of mundane for me to like rock up at the O2 again. I'm I'm leaping back in my chair when I see people touch each other on television. Never, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> never mind uh, the idea of being. I mean, the, the most shocking thing about America and what's happened over there is the fact they allowed Mardi Gras to go ahead. And I, I keep thinking about that. I don't know if you've ever been to Mardi Gras, but no, it's the most people absolutely glued next to each other if you if in any way agoraphobic i strongly um advise against going to mardi gras um but you know you can't get out of bars because the streets are so full of people um that's how sort of sardined it is so yeah that's mardi gras happened in new orleans god knows what the covid numbers over there are now because of that well, yeah yeah no that is specifically responsible for for the numbers in in in, in new orleans yeah. Well, I mean, this is worse financially for artists uh, than it would have been 20 years ago. Like, because, I mean, I've been told for, you know, for quite a long time that, that, that really the money, the big money, um, is in live music now. So um, how much of, I mean, I don't know, every, every career is different, you know, so some people don't, don't sort of tour at all, but... Um, are we talking most artists, as most artists, the sort of lion's share of their income is 
is some live performance and things associated with live performance like merch sales. Um, absolutely, 100%. The, the simple truth of it is that recorded music went away in the early noughties as a sort of, as an income stream with Napster and <clears throat> all of that. And, you know, we all suddenly got into touring and that's the thing that was the lifeblood. And then the record industry kind of was reborn with streaming. But streaming has never rewarded musicians and, and songwriters in the way that you would have thought it would, um, considering it generates billion-dollar profits for the biggest labels involved. And so touring has been the reliable way of making money. I mean, certainly Gomez, as, a, as an entity, almost all of our income that we've made in the past 10 years is just pure touring. There's no money for our back catalogue from streaming, really. I mean, most of our fans own the records. So that's that's one thing against us anyway. Yeah. But but um, really, even from many millions of, of streams, we've never seen any income from that. I mean, none <laughs> is the answer. But then we're trapped in a pre-2001 record contract. That, oh, okay, right. That, because that, I was going to say, what, none? I mean, I can understand a small amount, only a small amount, <laughs> but, but none. None. That's a, that's a yeah. hell of a contract. Um, that, that was record contracts before the turn of the century, of which you've got to remember that's all music that was released, you know, from the 1930s until 2001. Well, I mean, physical sales obviously have become less and less um, important, but they're still like, you know, I mean, I've seen that, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head. But, you know, the difference between if you actually buy an album, CD or vinyl, or even yeah. download versus streaming it, mm -hmm. it's kind of many, many times more. Uh, in royalties to the artist. Do you know what's happening with physical music now? Like, I mean, I like to think of vinyl pressing plants as, as a key service yeah. for the good of society. I'm not sure whether they qualify as such. <laughs> and Amazon, of course, has, has done a sort of prioritised, obviously really important, uh, more important products. And so if you order a book or an album or a DVD or whatever, that, is, that isn't um, coming in a hurry. So are we also looking at, for those people who do like to buy physical music, the shops are closed and the online uh, services are slow and I don't even know if they're being produced at the same rate. I don't know if they're being produced at the same rate either. At the moment, physical only accounts for about 25% of the global market and that number's going down and down. There are certain... Um, countries where physical has sort of stayed more prevalent for reasons um, that, uh, that are cultural. But certainly here, you know, it's, it's a tiny fraction. And I, I, you know, I recommend to all people to, if they do like buying vinyl, to buy it from the artist, because in that situation, not only does the artist get paid more anyway, but they also get paid as the retailer. <laughs> so um, that's a nice way of backing your favourite artists. Well, are there things that people can do? Because I know that when, when South by Southwest was cancelled, and that was perhaps the first, I think that was even before Coachella was cancelled, and I remember people saying then, oh, you know, to, to sort of help artists that are going to miss out on South by Southwest and, the, you know, buy stuff from their website, buy merchandise, buy vinyl, um... Uh, which, which obviously seemed like a you know a good thing to do for them. What else can you? But then I've seen someone else just go just like stream. You should stream your favorite artist. 
on um, loop, just well, on mute when you're out of the room. Well, unfortunately, that wouldn't work. Um, oh. <laughs> Damn it. I know. Um, it, it, it would, it, marginally, it might work, but the way that money gets paid out through streaming isn't what we, what is known as user-centric, which means that the money that you spend at Spotify, your money doesn't go to the music that you listen to. Uh, if you sit there and you listen to, you're a jazz fan and you listen to like really obscure 50s and 60s jazz records on there, you know, and that records as one stream of each track and they all get paid 0.005p per track. Whereas, you know, I don't know, Ed Sheeran or something, um, will have like a billion streams. And so of your, of the 10 quid or whatever that you're spending on Spotify, of that £5.70 or whatever that's going to the music side, roughly all of it's going to Ed Sheeran. <laughs> and not the jazzers. And not the jazz that you love. But that's the, that's the kind of problem we've had, I suppose. There is this, this sort of class system when you say streaming doesn't, uh, isn't really paying. Of course it is paying to the people with like, a zillion streams to the kind of well what it's done is is it's Pharrell's it's, happy yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's what it's done is it's flattened the curve <laughs> uh streaming um basically now it, the 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 graph of 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 income distribution from recorded music used to sort of slowly go up and then would there would always be a really big peak at the top of the of the high earners the michael jacksons and the paul mccartney's or whatever um, but now that graph is almost completely flat until you get to the high earners. And it's really, really problematic because there are, you know, there isn't much of a middle class left in music. There aren't many people just making a kind of okay average income from music anymore, which when I started in music 25 years ago, there was, that was the norm. Um, you know, people make being able to turn 20, 25 grand a year from music, you know, that, that was kind of what was happening. Now that's tough. It's really, really hard. You know, the, the, the way that, the way that we've chosen to, uh, well, the way that the major labels have, have, have kept the streaming model and the way that it enriches them is absolutely at the, to the detriment of, of musicians, um, songwriters and ultimately artists do you think that you know that this is going to hit so many artists below that very top tier so hard that sort of something would have to change that it would almost become sort of uh, mor- morally untenable uh, I, I mean, that's, that's, that, I mean, that's exactly the point of the thread. It is that I wrote is it, it is morally untenable. You can't have a music system where recorded music only enriches record labels. It's just it's it's absurd. We essentially, I mean, what I'm trying to get at. Um, there are lots of lots of people have different models of of, of what streaming looks like or how it could pay out but certainly the the way that it seems to me that there's an easy way of fixing it is that streaming is like radio now you know most people aren't going to streaming and go and 
I mean, a lot of people are choosing what they want to listen to, but a lot of the time they're just going, play me some jazz or play me some indie or play me my Sunday morning music, Alexa, or whatever. And, um, and that is for, it's basically corresponds with, 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 with communicate a, a communication system, a broadcast system, not a distribution system, but the record companies are still paying out only like it's like a purchase, right? So it's a tiny little purchase, one stream. Whereas if you switched over the model to when the streaming services choose music for you, then that would be a licensed royalty and people would get, we would get paid directly from the streaming services rather than the money going through record companies. And, and, and it would mean that you could pay people who play on records, which at the moment they do, pe- musicians who play on records at the moment don't get any money from streaming. They're, they get none. You know, we all get very little, but they get nothing. I mean, just, just, just from, even outside of this, the morality of that is very confusing to me. You know, it, if you said to any artist, hey, the players on that record you did, those brilliant musicians don't get paid when this gets played. Um, I mean, why? Why don't they get paid? Well, what you're saying about almost like it, it's like a broadcaster, there was that very strange instant of the uh, of number one. It wasn't the Christmas number one, but it was around Christmas. Uh, it was Ellie Goulding's cover of River by Joni Mitchell. Yeah. Which apparently was number one because it was on Amazon Music and it was like the big the first track on the Christmas playlist. So everybody that said, play me some Christmas music, Alexa, it would play that. That's and that was enough people um, for it to go to number one, even though virtually nobody chose It's not like it was terrible, but it was <laughs> like nobody chose it. It was chosen for them. So it was yeah. almost allowing, like, I don't know, in the 70s, like Tony Blackburn. Well, exactly. It's just... It's just, to, it's just, just make a record to number one, even if nobody bought it. And yeah. that, that does seem to me to be like, no, you are acting like a, a broadcaster putting together playlists, not just like a, a shop. It's not like the iTunes store. Well, 100%. I mean, and also something that we know, I mean, stop me if I get too technical or dull with this, but that we know already that when you choose music from a streaming service, the streaming service pays the record companies more for that than if the, the streaming service chooses the music for you. So they're, oh. all, they're already distinguishing between those two services, those two actions, the push and the pull. So it's something, you know, if it was 0.05p for a, a pull where you choose to listen to your favorite artists, that, that they'll only pay 0.003p for when they choose to play you something. And so they benefit from people using it more like a radio service as well because they pay less for it. And what kind of reaction did you get from this thread? I saw it kind of whizzing around, but presumably it's the kind of thing where, you know, you would also get, like, you know, DMs and, uh, and emails. And did you, did, you, did you feel, were there a lot of other um, musicians or people in the industry um, that were agreeing with you? <laughs> gotcha. Just went mad. Boy George. Boy George <laughs> retweeted it. I was like, boy George, that's brilliant. Um yeah, I mean, uh, it, it went completely crazy. Everybody sort of had a pop. It was really nice to see heroes and, and villains and alike. Nigel Godrich, he's always a good guy on it. Jeff Barrow got involved. Hot Chip got involved. I mean, it was. I, I just thought, you know, I just, 
I was getting, I was just got angry about it and, and ranted on Twitter. And then, yeah, it's, it's had something like 1.3 million impressions now. So the appetite for doing something about this is clearly very, very strong. And, you know, all the organizations I work with, like the Ives Academy um, and, and the Musicians Union are all, a lot of these sort of campaigning organizations have, have, have a lot of the time they've sort of felt like they're kind of shouting into the ether. But I think this moment, um, I, you know, I don't think it's crass to 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 talk about this dis, despite the awfulness of it. You know, it, there are people who are not going to be able to survive through this because it, it, they, they're, you know, their income is just going to be annihilated that, you know, that, that we really have to think about this and, 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 you know, universal music made nearly a billion pounds, uh, a million, sorry, a billion dollars last year and own about 800 million in Spotify stocks and shares, you know, people can't put food on the table. And I, I, I just feel like, you know, it's not a big jump so that people just get paid twice as much from streaming, you know, it's not, it's, it's, and that would still not be a lot of money. <laughs> That's the truth, but it would be something. Do you think, do you think that, that, I mean, we don't know obviously how long the lockdown is going to go on. That's been extended for another three weeks. Um, but then, like you said, there's all these kind of different stages to it. We don't know when mass gatherings are going to come back. Do you think that really this is going to make the difference between certain people being able to uh, continue to be musicians or not? Do you think there are going to be some Unquestionably. people who just, when this is over, we're going to look around and certain people, obviously not, not your big stars, but there's just going to be certain people that were just like, they just, they just couldn't, they just couldn't make it work. Yeah. I mean, I don't have any doubt about that. Um, I think there'll be people in the next couple of months who'll be <laughs> wondering what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. Um, a lot, a lot of, a lot of singer songwriters I know just make all of their money from week to week gigging, you know, and that's gone and no one's making TV. So where's, when, where's that going to come back? And so we should, so we should be uh, buying where we can. Yeah. Um, buying things from artists, vinyl, merchandise. Also, why not buy a music magazine while while you're at? Yeah, it? I mean, also, while you're being, yeah, it, yeah, while you're being, while you're investing in the future music, um, <laughs> and then just sort of, and then once the gigs do come back, um, just kind of snap up the tickets. Snap up the tickets. Yeah. Um, I, it's and I guess that there are streaming platforms that are better than others. Um, you know, um, Tidal and Deezer and um, some of them are better. They do pay better rates, but it's so marginal. You know, also buy from independent labels where you can and independent record shops who have online businesses. You know, support all of these people who 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 are not going to have much of a cash flow to keep them going for very long. Um, 
Yeah. yeah. I suppose that's what many people are doing. You know, uh, there are people who are trying to sort of, you know, support their local restaurant by buying takeout or doing whatever they can so that when the when this is over, they will have something to go back to. They'll somebody still be there. And the same applies to, you know, independent labels, smaller shops that may be doing online mm-hmm. sales, artists. It's like you kind of want to give them a lifeline during the next few months. Um, otherwise, you know, it's all those things. You don't, you don't know what you've got till you're gone. Till it's gone. That's exactly. a good life I, for I think, I think, <laughs> You should write it, Dorian. <laughs> um, I think the uh, I think the the average income of a musician in the UK is something about around twenty one or twenty two thousand pounds a year. Hopefully, people it can understand that 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 you know if you take away three months or four months. Of, of of income or planned income, it's it and 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 they live in like if they live in London or, you know, a major city where the cost of living is, you know, astronomical, um, you know, they're going to have a tough time very very quickly, yeah, which is to say that that's twenty two thousand, which is there's a lot of really wealthy ones, so which means a lot of most a lot of music teachers and shopping musicians are, are earning between ten and fifteen thousand quid a year and just getting you know scraping by well thanks tom we didn't get unfortunately get a chance to talk about my plan to nationalize ed sheeran it's a great idea i get, do you want me to get in? blue sky thinking for another day <laughs> um, um I, I think yeah that's that's nationalizing um uh gosh i think he'd, i think he'd be quite he's, he's quite amiable yeah, I think he would probably be quite up for being nationalised. <laughs> um, thank you so much for your time, Tom. Um, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And if people want to read your your thread, your Twitter handle is I am Mr. Tom Gray with an A. Um, Great, it's well worth reading. It's one of those threads that's actually exactly the right length <laughs> and does not have ominous like one out of seventy seven <laughs> in brackets. Um, so it's kind of well worth reading and hopefully um, some some reform or at least fresh thinking will come of it. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks a lot, Dorian. There will be another Bunker Daily Fuel on Monday. Have a good weekend and stay well. The Bunker Daily was presented by Dorian Linsky and produced by Andrew Harrison. Jacob Archbold was the assistant producer and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production. <laughs> <laughs>